Hello and welcome to Views from the Market, Private Equity and M&A in Canada. My name is Mario Negra. I'm a partner at Steichman Elliott in the Private Equity M&A Group. For today's special guest, we have uh, Rob Hickey. Rob Hickey is uh, the Managing Director and Group Head uh, at RBC in the Mid-Market M&A Group. Rob, thank you for joining us and welcome. Thanks, Mario. It's great to be here. Rob, I know you have uh, been doing deals for a long time. I don't want to give up your age, so I'll just say you're young forever. Uh, <laughs> um, you you came to RBC uh, with the mandate many years ago uh, to grow. Uh, and I remember when you arrived at RBC, there was a couple of you who were working in mid-market M&A. And it's, you've kind of come a long way since then. And I kind of want to start a little bit by talking about you, your history, and 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 the group, and it's a it's a great success story, the mid market group at RBC. Just given where it was when you got there and where it is today, so I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself, the group, and uh, and in some ways maybe we can get some of the secret sauce <laughs> if you can to tell us about how you got to where you are now. Sure, thanks, Mario. Happy happy to do that. So I've been doing mid market M and A for I guess let's say between twenty five and thirty years, and we'll leave it at that. I have a CPA by background. I, I've worked for accounting firms. I worked for other banks and I've been with RBC for seven years. So when I joined, as you said, it was a small team, but I think RBC's vision was to provide bulge bracket level services. So we have the largest M&A group in capital markets in Canada and a top 10 investment bank in the United States and a globally significant investment bank. We wanted to bring that level of service to private companies and to the mid-market, and we wanted to do it across Canada. And the real impetus for it is really what a lot of us in the industry have seen over the last 10 years, which is just the growing number of companies that are trading because of the advancing demographic that we've got. So business owners are aging. Some of them are passing their businesses onto their kids or to management, but most of them are selling their businesses. So that's been driving it. And as I'm sure you've covered in other podcasts or may cover in future podcasts, private equity has been growing every year, whether it's private equity institutionally, whether it's family offices or whether it's search funds or, or pledge funds, there's just so much more money in the market. So the volume has grown in the time that I've been with RBC and the time that I've been in the industry. So that's allowed us to grow the business across the country we're the largest bank in Canada. We're the largest asset manager in Canada, investment advisor in Canada. So that provides us a great platform to provide these services to private companies. So that, that's really the background. We're a sell side focused M&A group, which means most of the things that we do involve sellers of businesses and advising them to do that. We sell businesses to private companies. We sell them to public companies, private equity firms. Buyers for the companies are Canadian, they're international. And from an industry perspective, we do pretty much everything but oil and gas, mining, and mostly real estate. So beyond that, we're, we're fairly diversified. Well, one of the things I find that makes the mid-market m and group at RBC unique is when you talk about a kind of Canadian platform, you truly have a Canadian platform. You have, you more than I think any other uh, sell side advisor have really uh, expanded across Canada. And I want to get a sense uh, from you, one, you know, what's the thinking behind that? And I mean, clearly it's a success story because you 
you you keep growing across the country and i mean what does that tell us about the mid market in terms of its uh, footprint across the country so i'd love love to hear more about your your kind of your strategy from a canada wide perspective because it's definitely been one that the market notices and it yeah, obviously it's been successful given the continued growth of your group sure well rbc is a national business from a banking point of view obviously we're an international company but we we're a fairly significant Canadian bank and we're a fa- fairly significant investment advisor provider of investment advisory services so we have we have clients across the country and those clients have the same needs and objectives regardless of where they're located so if you look at the w- whether it's the gdp by province or whether you look at mna by province or you look at private equity investing by province obviously there are concentrations of activity in different parts of the country but as a bank we have strength across the country it's not the same in every province clearly in Quebec you have a, a number of players that are co- focused on Quebec we're a strong player in Quebec but there's lots of competition there but if you look at places like Atlantic Canada we're we're very strong there if you look at British Columbia, we're, we're strong there. We're, we're strong everywhere, but the brand has particular strength in certain segments of the country. So our strategy has really been to provide services to clients across the country and focus on areas where we can play to our strengths. Now, Rob, I mean, I know um, you've been active in the last couple of years. I mean, COVID, uh, uh, you know, like, like others, I mean, I've seen your group be uh, incredibly busy. Uh, I wanted to get a sense uh, from your perspective on the, on the market that we're in right now, what, all the activity that's going on, where you see this market going. And you obviously have a Canadian perspective, so it's great you you bring you bring that kind of full Canadian perspective. But given where we've come from and where we are and where we're going, I wanted to get a sense from you of what you think the future brings. Sure. Um, my crystal ball is maybe as good or no better than anyone else's, but I'll, I'll, it's a big question, Mario, and I'll, I'll try and answer it. I think in order to answer the question, you do need to look back before you can look ahead and look at where we are now. So I'll, I'll try and handle it in pieces. Uh, actually, I'm working on a, a, a market study. This is a preview for your podcast listeners of the pandemic impact on Canadian mid-market M&A. So I'm going to throw some numbers at you because I think for us in the mid-market, you don't see a lot of published information like you see in, in the large corporate world. So we tend to focus on anecdotal evidence and empirical evidence and take those things together and look at them as a whole. So I'm going to throw some things out there to you and, and to your podcast listeners for consideration. So if we go back to the beginning of last year, big pipelines at the beginning of the year, I think when I talk to people in the market, whether they're providing legal services like yourself, uh, the accounting firms, our competitors, everybody was was busy. But then the pandemic hit, the market closed for four to five months, effectively. Some deals got done, but, but generally speaking, things were closed. Then we started to see towards the end of the year, the low hanging fruit started to close. Deals that were not that impacted by the pandemic, easier to get heads around those things came back on the rails and started to close q4 i mean we, we look at the data from quarter to quarter q4 was it was a big quarter lots of things that got delayed 
closed in Q4. Then what you started to see was people like yourselves, people like us, we were giving clients an update in terms of where things were. So new deals started to come to the market, but you still had a lot of deals that hadn't closed. So you had some deals that were moving slowly because they were impacted in one way, shape or form by the pandemic. They either performed extremely well, or maybe they had some negative impacts to their performance. And then bankers like us and accounting firms were spending time trying to figure out how to normalize that and talk about what the businesses might look like on a sorry, sustainable basis. So at the same time as you're doing all this analysis, you've got people doing sell side QOV. As we came into the beginning of this year, you've got a lot of deals in the market. You have deals closing, but there's just a lot going on out there. And then you start to see a really fluid job market. So people turning over in investment banking, in the accounting firms, you had lawyers basically saying, we are full up, we can't take on work, getting more focused on saving capacity for their better clients, not discounting rates, Q of E, quality of earnings reports, which people need to get done, particularly in this environment where deals are wonky. They were having challenges getting those done. So there's lots of backlogs going on out there. And if I can throw some numbers at you. So historically, we look at how long it takes to close a deal. So with duration in 2020, we had a great first quarter. So the the figures for the year are a bit distorted, but it was up almost 20%. So add two months to the time it took to close a deal. In 2021, it's up almost 60%. So basically 200 more days to get a deal done. And that's a function of, of what we're seeing in the marketplace. So that's, that's something that we've been seeing, but there's been other interesting things happening as well. So last year, deals were easier to get done at the beginning of the year, but then they started to become challenging. And now this year, because of all the complexities, more challenging. So I think people are focusing. So we look at bid rates. So for every deal we put out there, based on the number of buyers we go to, what percentage are going to bid? So historically for us, that's been around 20%. This year it's 14%, so it's a big drop. So people are, because of the congestion in the marketplace, they're getting more choosy about what they're spending their time on. Bid spreads, so we've been looking at bid spreads historically for us, so the difference between the lowest and the highest bid, it's a, to some extent an indication of volatility in the marketplace. So historically we, it was around 50%. Last, in during the height of the pandemic, 122% spread between lowest and highest bid. So obviously huge, huge differences in view on risk. And this year it's around 100%. So we're, we're not quite there yet. So there's just lots of interesting things happening. In terms of deals that are getting done, what I can tell you is that at least from our perspective, when we look at who's buying businesses, so let's look at geographic. Historically, 50% Canadian buyers for us, 50% international. Because of the pandemic, that's changed. So last year, 77% Canadian buyers. With the border closed, it just makes sense. This year, and again, the year's not over, but we're still in the pandemic. Border's still closed. It's 70% Canadian buyers. So obviously, we're seeing a real shift to Canadian buyers versus U.S. buyers. Who's buying these businesses? Well, let's talk about private equity versus non-private equity. So historically, in our business, mid-market, Canadian M&A, 40% of the buyers were private equity. This year to date, 
70%. So obviously private equity was first too because of that period where nothing got done. There's pent up demand, they're trying to catch up. So we're just seeing more private equity bidding than we've seen in the past. So lots of interesting things. And then the last thing that we're seeing Mario, which I think is relevant and it's something that you predicted on our podcast last year, which is the risk structuring of deals, which means that risk that people are perceiving in a deal is being mitigated by shifting the risk away from cash to some other structure, whether that's earnout or equity rollover. So that's what we're seeing, Mario. And in terms of where it's going, what I could tell you is I still think we've, we're not really through a business cycle of the pandemic as far as the underlying companies are concerned. So there's still deals that are, that are out there that people are trying to get their head around. There's still capacity issues in the legal, accounting, tax, investment banking areas, which has to get worked through. There's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of people that want to get things done, even from the sell side. So I think it's going to be busy for the foreseeable future. We generally don't look out more than six months, but based on our pipeline and based on what I'm hearing from talking to folks like yourself and others, it's going to be busy through the end of the year. Rob, uh, has deal making changed because of the last, I mean, obviously the borders closed. So, you know, people are doing diligence uh, virtually and we've heard about, you know, those, that phenomena, but I mean, in your opinion, you, you, you know, you've seen a lot of deal making over the years. Has there been some fundamental shifts in deal making because of COVID? Do you think some of the stuff that COVID brought out is never going back? Or do you see some shifts that just the market uh, has brought on because of the last year and a half, two years? Well, I, I think that certainly the role of technology is rapidly accelerating. We're not quite there yet. I, I thought we'd get more efficiencies out of technology, but it's just amazing with all the technology that's basically helped many industries, including ours, when it comes right down to it, it's still a labor intensive industry. I mean, you have to read through agreements, you need people to write documents and do analysis. So that, that those things haven't changed, but technology is certainly advancing it. I think that what we are seeing is the, because of the amount of deals that are out there and the finite human capital resources, people are just picking their spots and we're not getting the same level of bids on really quality assets that we might in the past because people are picking their spots. And right now I have to tell you, it's a bit of a disadvantage as a Canadian seller in this market because you, you can go into the market, you may get a, an indication of interest or an expression of interest because it's easy to do. You might get a lot of those. But then when you ask a US buyer or an international buyer to focus and say, okay, we want you to spend time doing due diligence on a particular deal, the attrition is a lot higher than it has been in the past. And it's because of that border issue. People are just looking at that and saying, if, if I'm in the US, I mean, here's the way that you, in my opinion, US mid-market used to look at Canada. They used to say Canada is a great market, less competition than down here. So let's spend time on Canada. So a lot of us were the beneficiaries of that northbound interest. But now what we're seeing is people saying Canada's tough right now. There's a border in place. I can't, I, I can fly to, if I'm in LA, I can fly to Portland. I can fly to Detroit and meet a management team. I can't fly to Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal and meet anybody. So maybe I don't want to spend time on this right now. And, and I think that's really what we're seeing. And I'm hoping, Mario, that that 
goes away once the border opens. I, I think it will, but it's tough to, to deal with right now. I mean, obviously we're, we're managing. We're, I think we're not alone in this in that there's record numbers of deals being closed. Everybody's busy. But I, I believe that there's probably some value being left on the table because the border is not open. Rob, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you and I have talked about this in the past, uh, about you know the, the, the generational shift. You mentioned it earlier, and I, I just want to, are we there? You know, we've talked about that generational shift of wealth, the, the, the bulge of owners who uh, we've been waiting to sell. Has, has this COVID market brought people to the table that were waiting on the sidelines but now are willing because they see whatever this life-changing event and it's, you know, have we finally arrived to that group of people that we've been waiting for for the longest time? You know, they, they're these owner operators who have stalled selling because of, you know, the recession on 09 and the market was doing well. Let's just hang on a little longer. Wanted to get a sense from you. If, you, if you're my, my, look, I, my sense is I think we're there, but I want to, you're, you're closer to it. Are you starting to see those owner operators that have been holding out for a long time finally agree to sell? I think so, Mario. I mean, look, we've been in that and experiencing that for years. And I think if you look at any of the data around m and I mean, 88, 90% of Canadian M&A activity is, you know, small to medium-sized businesses, mid-market and smaller businesses. So, so it's been happening. And I, I think I said this at a event you had a few years ago where I was a panelist where I said the thing about, you know, the business owners, they're just, they're just getting every year. I mean, I've been doing this a long time and no one's getting any younger. Right. So people are continuing to see things that make it clear they need to do something. And we saw, you, you mentioned the global financial crisis in 2008. I remember back then we, we did see, a up, uptick in activity following that where there may be some people who are hanging on, but they decided to, you know what, I'm going to throw it in and it's time to exit. Are we seeing that again? Of course we are. We're, we're having lots of conversations with, with people. I think part of it is that whether it's you know, yourselves or, or folks like us, we're, we're telling people what's going on in the market. I mean, rates are low, valuations continue to be healthy. There's lots of money out there. That that drum is being beat over and over again, and it's it you know it's not just us. It's most private companies in Canada get solicited by by banks, by accounting firms, by boutiques, by private equity firms. They're hearing it over and over and over again, and they see the numbers. And you, you go through tough years, and maybe what we see more often than not is the business owners that held out for their family to take over. And then, you know what? Sometimes the apple falls pretty far from the tree and the business owner comes to the realization that they probably need to exit the business because the next generation is either unwilling or incapable of running the business. So we've been seeing that for years, Mario, and it's just a trend that's going to continue because the average age of the business owner is getting older and older every year. I have one last question. I, I always keep a crystal ball question. I've taken advantage of your crystal ball for the, this entire podcast, but I'm going to ask one more. And it, it kind of goes to the core of where we're at. Uh, obviously, 
we've been seeing valuations that have increased almost across the board. Uh, do you see these valuations, particularly in the middle market, which is, you know, traditionally the valuation increases, we, we heard about them from larger deals and they, you know, in some ways the middle market had its own valuation kind of metrics, but even now in the mid market valuations have gone up. Do you, do you see this as the new norm that higher valuations, even for the kind of mid market, lower middle market companies are here to stay? Or is it just we're in the hot market and this will fade and we'll kind of retrench a little bit? Uh, Want to get your sense of, of where you think the valuations are going in the middle market specifically? Sure. Well, we in the middle market, we take our cue from the large corporate market. So obviously, any guidance that we give people around valuation is going to start with where public companies are trading and they're, I mean, they're yeah. trading at all time highs. So that's helpful. The other data point we use is leverage. So there's much more appetite on the part of, I always have to be careful when I talk about lending because of, I work in a bank, but I don't approve credit. So <laughs> I'm always guarded with those conversations, but I, broadly speaking, there seems to be greater appetite than there has been historic to lend on deals that are in the mid-market. So M&A, whether it's the private equity or, or another buyer, but there are limits to, to that. I mean, there are regulatory limits and there are obviously risk limits. So I don't think we're going to see rampant increases over valuations relative to where they are now. Again, I'll qualify that by saying there's there's certain sectors that are always going to be more topical and in demand. So organic food, for example, uh, certain types of technology, certain types of services, given what's happened in the pandemic, I mean, they're going to benefit from higher valuations. But on the other hand, there are other types of businesses that are going to suffer. So there, there, there will be winners and losers. On the average, I think valuations are are up a little bit, not substantially. You have to look at things in, in aggregate. But if you look at the public markets and you look at leverage and rates, I think that sets the stage for healthy valuations, at least in the foreseeable future. Rob, I wanna thank you. It's uh, been great to have you and uh, to get your insight. Uh, and I know uh, you know, you've, you've been uh, one of those people who's been committed to the mid-market for a long time. So it's, uh, it's, it's great to get your perspective. Uh, and uh, uh, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Mario. 